have a conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Wilson. We're excited to have you joining us for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends Podcast. Dee, how are you today? I am doing awesome, Sherry. Yes, I'm excited about this topic. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I I told you um, that last week I hurt my back somehow. Like I was really wonky. You were doing cartwheels outside or something? What were you doing? Yeah, you know, (laughs) trying to like, you know, channel my 12-year-old self. (laughs) No, I really don't know what I did, but it was terrible for a few days. I like could barely even sleep through the night. I had so much back pain. And, um, and now I'm laughing because I'm like, okay, we're also women of a certain age. We could throw our back out, like picking up something off the floor. Oh, well, and I have a 40 pound five-year-old, you know, so like he wants to be held sometimes too. And maybe that's what I did. Who knows? Mm. But at any rate, I'm, today's the first day I'm like pain-free. So praise the Lord (laughs) that I feel like myself and I can maybe do some of the things that I've been missing. Like I haven't been able to exercise. I even have been hesitant to take a long walk because I just didn't want to aggravate it. Yeah. It was really, really significant, but Today I feel great and I'm I'm super excited to be feeling like myself again. That's awesome. Yes. Yes, and everybody in my house is healthy, so yay. <laughs> um so today's show is about one of those sticky subjects that has all kinds of nuance when it comes to healthfulness. I'm excited about this topic, but I also know that there are some pitfalls in the conversation. So, I'm excited because I think it's something that's frequently misunderstood, misused, and even abused, and it has huge implications for the individual and for society. And I, I think it can it can um impact every aspect of our lives. So, physical misrepresented like like the way that the data is presented to people is misleading. Yeah, too. yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> this topic in particular, you know, our show is really about mental, spiritual, and physical health. And this topic touches all of those things in some way, Does it? or it can. Ah, yeah, I can't. I was like, how spiritual? <laughs> I see that. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're going to talk about alcohol. <laughs> that liquor, as my mom would say. Oh, oh gosh. my gosh. <laughs> now, listen, I love a special cocktail. Um, a Paloma is like my birthday drink. I love a Paloma in the summertime. Um, I love martinis every once in a while and a good glass of wine and a cold beer on a cold day. I mean, that's like, I mean, on a hot day, cold, <laughs> cold beer on a cold day. No, cold beer on a hot day. <laughs> I mean, you can have cold beer on a cold day. Sure, if you want to. But I also recognize that alcohol consumption can be a slippery slope and that it's it's just not good for everyone. There's some people that that just shouldn't drink alcohol. And yeah. so we're going to talk about that. And we've actually talked a little bit peripherally about alcohol and how it can affect our health and disease risk, like when we talked about it on our breast cancer show. And I think, you know, we're today we're going to dive a little deeper into what some of the risks are if we drink more than one a day, one drink a day. And we'll define even what that is. Like, because yeah. I think for some people, what does that even look like, you know? For me, this 32 ounce, is that? <laughs> right? Is a 40 uh, one drink a day? No. 
it's one container. <laughs> it's one container. Why is it not one? Uh, so <laughs> that's funny because as a dietitian, I really believe that the role that I can play, the, the value that I think dietitians so often bring to the conversations around food is context, yeah. right? So helping people put food and drink and lifestyle choices into context. So without further ado, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's dive in. So I think the the first um, area of conversation I think that's it's it's important. Of course, I'm a dietitian, so I like to start with nutrition. Okay. <laughs> so for so as far as nutrition goes, you know, alcohol typically doesn't contain much in the way of nutrition, right? So it doesn't provide a lot of doesn't provide vitamins and minerals, and it doesn't provide much in the way of nutrition as food does. But it does contain calories. So alcohol. I'm seriously sitting here going, can, but what about fortified? Fortified wine is fortified with <laughs> alcohol. Uh, oh, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> it's wine and liquor. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> That's so funny. Just trying to find a way. I know, right? Right. So alcohol has nine grams of or nine calories per gram. So you think of it like the same way you think of, okay, you have protein, carbs, protein, carbs, what? Fat. Fat. And then alcohol is another component just like that. It's another source of calories that's separate from those other macronutrients. And And that's just the pure alcohol. So you could have like carbs in an alcoholic drink like yes. wine or something like that. Or beer. a mixed drink for sure, right? Mm-hmm. When you've added, added mixers, you've got the alcohol and the sugar from the mixer. Gotcha. So I think, you know, that's something people forget, right? They th- they don't think about the calories in alcohol, just like we don't really think about the calories that are in the beverages that we drink sometimes, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't, it's not going to like trigger satiety signals. We're not going to feel full when we drink alcohol, even though it's providing calories. But they don't, why don't they put the calories on the bottle the same way that like your juice bottle has, you know, two servings per bottle and it's 150 calories per serving. I just made that up. I don't know if that's real. (laughs) But why doesn't the alcohol bottle say the same thing? That's a great question. And I, you know, I should know, but I don't know a lot about the labeling rules around alcohol. Mm -hmm. So, so they must not be required to provide that. Although I think with beer, a lot of times you can, you can find that information pretty easily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With beer. Wine, I don't think includes any alcohol, uh, any uh, calorie information. So, I mean, I think that the the um, it's not hard to find that information if if you want to find that information. We're going to give you today. I'm going to give you some guidelines that you don't really need necessarily to know all the calories. And at the end of the day, the reality is we shouldn't be drinking so much alcohol that we need to like manage those calories <laughs> <laughs> necessarily. And and that and I'm going to give you the rationale for that. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. The other thing about nutrition and alcohol that I think is really important for people to consider is that it, you know, alcohol lowers our inhibitions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people, I think, consider it to be like a, um, like a, a courage enhancer, right? Liquid courage, yeah. Liquid courage, (laughs) right? It like lubricates the social, you know, kind of situation for people. Um, Um, I would be one of those people. mm -hmm. Like if I'm going into, especially, you know, and this is probably the wrong time to make sure that I have a nice strong drink, but like at work events where I'm feeling very nervous Mm. because I am an introvert and those kinds of situations are difficult for me, um, I will always have a drink at 
you know, at the beginning of that yeah. kind of social interaction so that I don't feel so crazy. Yeah. Nervous. <laughs> yeah. And nervous. anxious. And I think a lot of people do that. And so, you know, we can debate the merits of that, mm -hmm. you know, but I think at the end of the day, when it comes to nutrition, when we think about lowering our inhibitions, it can lead to overeating and making choices about food that we might not normally make, right? So we mm -hmm. eat a lot more calories. I think alcohol can increase your hunger, your feelings of hunger, and it can reduce your inhibition. So you might not pay attention as much to feeling full, and you might choose things from the menu that you wouldn't otherwise choose. And also, you know, there are just some things that seem to go really well with certain drinks, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when it comes to beer, you know, we think about beer with fatty foods a lot of times, um, like chicken wings or or um, French fries or hamburgers. Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they just seem to pair really well. And part of that is because alcohol cuts through fat flavor-wise for us in a lot of ways, mm. and it makes it um, easier and more enjoyable, which is great. I mean, culinarily, I think that's a that's a great benefit. Um, and it's not a problem when it comes to drinking in moderate amounts, like one drink. It's not a big deal. But when we start to drink much more than that, um, then I think that the increased calories that we're eating, in addition to the alcohol calories, then that can lead us to, to consuming too many calories. Yeah. And for people who are trying to manage their weight or who are trying to um, to control health conditions that are associated with calorie intake or fat intake, that can be a real problem, right? Because now we're eating and drinking things we wouldn't have normally had because our inhibitions are lowered yeah. and our judgment is impaired and our choices are going to be different than they would be otherwise. So I think those So what you're saying is I'm more likely to eat two burgers instead of one <laughs> if I have four beers. Maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. The other thing is that you know sort of and this is going to lead into the next topic that we're going to tackle but you know when we think about metabolism of alcohol it primarily happens in the liver and as far as health and nutrition goes alcohol being cleared through the liver increases the production of triglycerides and triglycerides um, can be a problem for people who've got cholesterol issues and, and um, risks for cardiovascular disease and we're going to talk about that in more detail in a minute but I just want to put that that bug there to, to as something to keep in mind. Now, the good thing is that that pretty much happens for everybody when it comes to processing alcohol, but that spike in triglycerides for most people is going to go back to normal. So if you don't already have a problem with triglycerides or with, um, with sort of overproduction from the liver, that's probably not going to be an ongoing issue for you. But for people who consistently overdrink, mm -hmm. um, then that is going to be contributing to an, an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So problem, right? So that's how, because I never understood how when someone's had a heart attack, they were like, well, you you can't drink. And I'm like, but if that's supposed to like kind of loosen up your blood, yeah. why would you not? Yeah. But because it can increase your triglycerides, which is what increases your bad cholesterol? It, triglycerides on their own are a risk factor. Okay. Yeah. Then... I, that that could sense. be part of it. Yeah, yeah, that can be part of it. And there are lots of other reasons, and we're going to talk about those. And I bet that there's more than one reason that that recommendation is made following a heart attack. Okay. So we'll talk about that. So let's talk a little bit about 
sort of the biochemistry. I don't want to get too technical on people because, you know, I want you to stay tuned in. This is the biochemistry of how your body metabolizes the alcohol. Yep. And so we're not going to talk about the, the super details, but I will say that alcohol metabolism in the body is the same as metabolizing a toxin because alcohol is a toxin to the body. So there, you know, the way that our bodies, our bodies. So it's not metabolizing it as a food. No. Okay. It's, um, so, so when we drink alcohol, it has to be metabolized in a couple of different stages. And when alcohol is broken down from ethanol through the first sort of channel, the first byproduct of alcohol is acetaldehyde. And I may not be saying that exactly right, but essentially this first byproduct or breakdown of ethanol is, is actually, um, a carcinogen Hmm. and it doesn't stay in our bodies in that form for a long period of time in most cases, right? If you've got normal metabolism, your liver's working like it should, it doesn't stay that way for long, but it does temporarily result in this this particular toxin that is particularly toxic. And then the body has to break is it, it down still again. Is it in your gut or Um it can be in it's in, can be in your blood. Okay. And then um and then that then it's broken down again to acetate. You mentioned that you ask that, so acetate, and then that has to be broken down and is broken down into water and uh, carbon dioxide, and then it's you know, it, and then it's excreted right through sweat or urine or feces, like it's just excreted from our body, which is good. But that whole process takes time, and in the meantime, and your body can't. If you're drinking a lot, your body can't keep up, right? And that's why you get drunk mm. because you've got all this toxins in your body and your body can't get it out fast enough as fast as you're bringing it in, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're drinking more alcohol than your body can process in an hour, which is limited, it's a finite amount of time, your body can only process in a certain amount of time the alcohol that you're consuming in one hour, so that so then if your body's not keeping up or catching up or you're drinking too much, then you get drunk. And then you suffer some of the negative effects of alcohol, right? So something that I've also heard is that while your body is processing alcohol, it's not able to also process or metabolize food that you're eating, which is why if you drink a lot, you would tend to gain weight and fat. You'll tend to have more fat deposits. I don't, I don't know that that's true because they're metabolized differently, right? So they're, mm. they're metabolized through different channels. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. There is some research I've seen that that um, that suggests that there's the possibility that alcohol can aggravate intestinal cells. So it can ag- actually aggravate the intestinal lining. And that could result in malnutrition. That could be a problem or malabsorption rather, not malnutrition. Well, it could be malnutrition, but malabsorption <laughs> primarily. And I think that, that that might be where some of that's coming from. Mm. That's not my primary concern is, you know, about sort of processing alcohol and food at the same time. My pro- my concern is sort of what we've already talked about. So nutritionally, the additional calories, the reduced inhibition, and then the increase in this toxin toxicity in the body can increase the chances of other things. So when we think about metabolism of, of alcohol, it's got to go through the liver. And there is some metabolism that happens in the stomach. So maybe that's the other thing. There's a small amount that happens in the stomach. There's a small amount that happens in the pancreas. There's a small amount that happens in the brain. And that's primarily because I think the brain has to, right? Because your brain has to be able to work to keep you alive. So some metabolism is going to have to happen there because these byproducts are going to circulate in your blood and they're going to go everywhere. Mm-hmm. And your brain has to keep working. But your brain can't officially, efficiently enough for most people metabolize 
alcohol. So your liver is the primary place where that's going to happen. And because all of these organs are participating in the detoxing kind of, you know, process with alcohol, um, they can all also be injured, Mm -hmm. right, through consumption of alcohol. And that's where we start to see some of the additional risk, which we'll get to in a minute. But as we think about metabolism, you know, it it also varies. So metabolism of alcohol can vary based on a number of things like your body size, Mm -hmm. right? So larger people can probably drink more alcohol than smaller people. Um, People with larger livers, which are going to be larger people, can metabolize more alcohol than people who have smaller livers, which is so the size of your liver is relative to the size of your body. Yes. So if your body gets smaller, does your liver get smaller? It should. Huh. Mm-hmm. It should, but there, but I mean, that's going to be kind of a finite change. Like there's a, there's some good research and we're not going to talk about this today because I have to pull up the research <laughs> and get a little smarter about it. But there is definitely a lot of emerging research in the last five years or 10 years about um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease mm. from obesity. So people who are significantly overweight, who are in the obese category, have a higher risk of developing non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So the increase in size is fat deposit and not Some of it liver is. tissue? Okay. Some of it is. But like a person who's got a bigger body, like, so I'm, you know, a certain size, a, you know, probably a smaller person than like my husband is significantly larger than I am. It's not just that he's a man, but he's a taller lot taller and, and he yeah. weighs more because he's a bigger person. He's got bigger organs because he's bigger. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Same thing. So there are also some, and, and you know, you mentioned earlier we're women of a certain age, which I hate that <laughs> statement, D. It's my favorite. I use it often. <laughs> I know you do. But, the, but there are some significant differences that happen as we age, too. So I don't know about you, but I definitely, like for me, how I feel after having a couple of glasses of wine is very different in my 40s than it was in my 20s. You know, I feel a lot different. And part of that is age-related. So we have less fluid in our body, less, less water in our body as we age, and that can impact um, how we can metabolize alcohol. Also, our organs become less efficient as we get older, and that includes our liver. Yeah, so, that's definitely true for me. Like if I know, like tonight, I know I'm going out for Korean barbecue. Yum. I'm going to have some Korean wine. I'm probably going to have some cocktails when we get home. Um, and so I am hydrating. Yeah. Prehydrating because <laughs> if I don't, I am going to be wiped for the next two days. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important to think about those kinds of things. And in any way, it's important to stay hydrated. But the reality is that alcohol, as we age, impacts us differently than it did when we were younger. And that's not just that's not just because we think it not just, it's not that's not just a mental game. That's actually oh, yeah, physical. I remember being in school and being able to, you know hang out till yeah. two, three o'clock in the morning, oh, having nummy. a few cocktails <laughs> and still being able to get up and go to class. Yeah. And it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a problem. And like, yeah. it wasn't something that I had to be conscious about. Like, oh, let me take an aspirin and drink water. I was just like, I got up and it was okay. Yeah. Whew. Not me. <laughs> I've never been able to do that, but no, <laughs> no I'm a lightweight. <laughs> so the other thing that I think is important to consider is that, is that alcohol metabolism 
competes with other drugs and herbs. So I'm not so worried about um, alcohol and food necessarily, but certainly with drugs. So certain over-the-counter drugs and also prescription drugs and even some herbs. If you think about how these things are metabolized, they're oh, most... Oh, it competes for... For metabolism. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so that can be a problem because it can increase the amount of these toxins that stay in our body, either from the drugs or from the herbs or from the alcohol or from all of them, right? Because if you got to use the same channel through the liver and the liver's ability to process all of these things is, is limited. The so l- I can't have extra oregano on my spaghetti if I'm going to have alcohol too. You're going to have to explain that. I wouldn't be as worried about oregano. Like like uh, leafy herbs that we're using in foods are not an issue, are not as much of an issue as like herbs we might be taking for treating conditions. So things gotcha. like St. John's wort gotcha. for depression okay. Okay. or prescription drugs for depression or prescription drugs to treat cardiovascular disease like um like antihypertensive drugs you know like for high blood pressure mm-hmm. or anti-epileptic medications you know to treat seizure disorders when or even Tylenol Tylenol's a big one like if we drink alcohol and we take these drugs that have to be cleared through the same channel then we're increasing our risk for liver damage because right. of the acetaminophen. And from what I understand, mm-hmm. it's pretty much a, kind of a low yeah. threshold yeah. between safe and unsafe yes. when it comes to acetaminophen and alcohol. Yes. And that's true about prescription drugs, too, that a lot of people just don't think about. You know, if your normal routine is taking these medications and you think of them as very safe, and generally they are, but then you also kind of are somebody who regularly drinks alcohol, you need to talk to your doctor about that. You need mm-hmm. to have a conversation with your doctor, or your pharmacist, or both to make sure that the amount of alcohol you're drinking and the amount of medication you're taking is not a problem. Yeah. Because that... And be honest. Like and when be the honest. doctor asks you, yeah. so you're still... Because, you know, I went for my physical yeah. recently and the doctor's like, so you're still having like, you know, I think I said three drinks a week or something like that. Yeah. Is that still accurate? And it was, but you know, I really wanted to say, no, I just have wine, just a glass of wine on Saturday, you know, (laughs) but that's not true. Yeah. But just thinking about, wow, if I were to be dishonest, what kind of effect could it have on any medications that I'm taking? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that your doctors are there to help you. They're not there to judge you. Yeah. You know, and, and, but if you're not honest, they can't help you, you know, and, and there are real life threatening reactions that happen because of these interactions. And so you have to be honest about it and you have to really look at your specific situation. And, you know, that could be part of the reason that we see an increased problem for people who drink alcohol as they get older, as compared to when we were 20, right? Mm -hmm. When we had less, we weren't taking medications. We didn't take many medications. And yet now, you know, many of us are taking these regular sort of lifestyle drugs that keep us healthy in our minds. Sometimes, you know, they're not really keeping us as healthy as we think, considering what our overall lifestyle includes. And alcohol is one piece of that. Yeah. So we need to be honest and we need to consider this. The other thing is that, you know, the way that we process or metabolize alcohol is genetic. There is a genetic component to how we can process alcohol, you know? So people around the world have different genetics based on our ancestry, and some of that influences how we process alcohol. 
So that's another thing that we need to consider, right? Are we genetically programmed? There's some genetic mutations that increase our risk of having a problem metabolizing alcohol. And there are some genetic mutations that actually make metabolism of alcohol more efficient. If you're less able to metabolize alcohol, does that increase your likelihood of becoming an alcoholic? That's a great question. And that's actually what researchers are trying to figure out. Yeah, and they're just thinking about the alcoholism rates among um, the First Nations people oh. and how that's, you know, we can look at that yeah. them as a group and say they yeah. have higher incidences of alcoholism. I'm just curious if yeah. the way that they metabolize the alcohol is part of it. It's 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 interesting you ask that question because I did read some some specific a summary about alcohol um about the genetic variants in in that population in particular and what the researchers said is that there's there's actually not much difference in the way that alcohol's metabolized between um Native American peoples and what would be considered a white or a Caucasian population, a European descent. There's not much genetic difference. Really? Okay. Yeah. So they, so they th think that the difference there, the problems there are really in, more environmental, gotcha. right? It's nature versus nurture. It's much more about the nurture. It's the problem is environmental. Mm. Um, not environmental as an environment. It's environmental as in social and cultural. Mm-hmm. So, so those are kind of the big things I wanted to share about metabolism of alcohol. I mean, I think that there, it's a, it's a biochemical, biochemistry issue, right? So we have to remember that our bodies cannot metabolize alcohol any faster than they can. We are limited um, in the amount of alcohols our body, uh, the amount of alcohol our body can process in a certain amount of time. And when we go above that, then alcohol becomes a toxin in our body and there's no way for it not to. Because mm -hmm. we can't change the way our body metabolizes alcohol in any significant way. So so when we're drunk, we're actually in a toxic state? Yeah, pretty much. Interesting. I know, right? It feels different now when you think about being drunk. <laughs> it's like not so much fun. Oh, my brain is shrinking and, and having damage because... <gasps> it's shrinking? It might be, yeah. Because you can become dehydrated and like there are all kinds of issues here. Oh, yeah. I feel like I've read that. Yeah. That's why you have like a really bad headache the next mm, day. Yes. So, and that's also from those byproducts, those toxins that are mm. still circulating around in your body. So what's one drink? I mean, I think that's the question is like, what's one drink? Because we were teasing about the 40 and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is that one drink is 12 ounces of beer. So like one bottle of beer. One can of beer, that's not, not, not like a 40, but one 12, <laughs> normal, usual, single serve <laughs> size beer is one drink. Five ounces Which of wine. Which would make a 40 of two and a half? I can't do math in my head. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm tempted. <laughs> It'd be like three. Okay, that Plus. was dumb of me. <laughs> no, no. I, listen, I'm not the math brain either. Well, for wine, it's five ounces. And I don't know about you, but I've been to... I. So we frequent this pizza place on Friday nights and I was thinking about the show and I was thinking about like what's an, what's a normal size serving of alcohol or wine because I had a glass of wine last night and it's five ounces is a normal size. Five ounces. That's not a lot of alcohol, right? That's not a lot of wine. Five ounces is not a lot of wine. I'm not kidding. I think that the I think that the bartender poured me like a 10 ounce. I think two two glasses were in my one glass of wine last night. I That's drank, amazing. I drank the whole thing. <laughs> I know. I was like, well, okay then. I mean, I drank the whole thing, but I, but it was definitely more than one glass of wine. 
Huh. So you got to keep that in mind. And then for distilled spirits, an ounce and a half of the actual liquor in mm-hmm. your drink, that's considered one drink, okay. right? So if you have a double, that's two drinks. Don't lie to yourself and say it's a, it's a drink. <laughs> one and a half ounces is your is your one drink. And so I'm thinking about like I just discovered or perfected this coconut margarita recipe. And it's like, you know, one part tequila to half part um, triple sec, which would make it one drink. Yeah. If it's one ounce of the tequila, half an ounce of the triple sec. Yeah. Than the lime juice and the other stuff. Okay. Yeah, and those those don't count toward the alcohol, but they do provide calories. So you know you got to keep that in mind too. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I want to taste that margarita. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I don't add agave, so it's not super sweet. Okay. But the triple sec is sweet. Yeah. So it's more tangy. Yeah, I like it. I'm into it. Let's try it. <laughs> All right, so, but let's talk risks before we get into our our cocktails. Let's talk risk. Um, so I've I've already you know talked a little bit about some of the specific risks, but I think that you know probably one of the ones that I think is the most um, significant and the least discussed is the risk on cancer. Mm. And there is good research that shows that um, that drinking alcohol, especially above the recommended amount, can increase our risk for cancer. And we talked about like breast all cancer. cancers or all, just liver cancer. These are the specifics that have been mentioned. So I looked I, I, I looked up some some of the research and according to the World Cancer Research Fund and American Institute for Cancer Research, which I love by the way, um, there's convincing evidence linking alcohol to cancers of the mouth, pharynx, larynx, esophagus, if you think about you're drinking it, right? So all the parts of the body that it touches, the stomach, breast, liver, colon, and rectum. So everywhere that alcohol goes through it's our body. It's not touching my boobies. How is it? <laughs> I don't really understand the connection with breast cancer. Maybe it has to do with the breakdown of alcohol. Remember I mentioned that acetaldehyde is a, a carcinogen? Mm-hmm. And even though it doesn't circulate in our body for long, most of the time, if we're consistently over drinking, then that toxin essentially that that toxic you know temporary toxic byproduct mm-hmm. is in our bodies until it can be broken down does alcohol affect hormones yes oh that's a good one that's it i bet that's it huh yeah and the mouth cancer thing is kind of throwing me off because you know i think about you know dipping or you oh. know i'm a former smoker yeah um and i'm thinking oh you know i've kind of gotten rid of my risk factor for mm. those kinds of cancers into then understand that it increases it when you're drinking alcohol as well. Mm -hmm. It's a little demoralizing. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that the, as with all things with nutrition, you know, it's about moderation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, you know, I'm I'm not saying that you can't have alcohol and Mm -hmm. still reduce your risk in these areas, but I think that alcohol, especially above the recommendation increases our risk and there's no way for it not to. Yeah. So we have to be smart about this and think about, um, about how we consume alcohol. There's there was an additional um, note in that that um, article that I read that talked about the risk being multiplied for drinkers who also smoke tobacco and have a poor poor diet. So when you think about like a lot of people don't smoke, but if they drink alcohol, they smoke. Yeah. When they drink alcohol, they smoke. Had a cigarette in I think eleven years, mm-hmm. maybe almost yeah, twelve. Yeah, I do. Um, but. If I've had a couple of cocktails, I'll crave it. Yeah. I mean, I don't go out and buy a pack. <laughs> um, and But I don't know if I were in an environment where someone else was smoking, 
would I feel compelled to ask to bum one, mm-hmm. you know? Because mm-hmm. it does. It really does increase the desire mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. So again, and that's and also... And lowers your inhibition, so yes. you're much more likely to... Exactly. I can just have one. Yeah, might as well. And everybody else is doing it too. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of people drink alcohol in bars and bars, you know, tend to allow smoking. There's some of the last places in our in our society where alcohol, where uh, smoking is still acceptable, mm-hmm. you know, so I think that a lot of people will smoke and drink at the same time, and that increases the risk for cancer. The other things, uh, the other, the other uh, risks that are significantly higher when we overdrink are things like liver disease, and I mentioned already a lot about the fact that alcohol is metabolized primarily in the liver, and that makes sense, right? Because overloading the liver results in this sort of damage. And we know that damaged tissue is more likely to become diseased tissue. What kind of damage is happening? Like so, so a significant amount of inflammation can happen. Okay. Scarring can happen. Um, you probably heard of cirrhosis of the liver, mm-hmm. right? Cirrhosis is essentially like um, scar tissue that builds up in the liver from this over from this damage because of because of the liver being overloaded by the toxins that are byproducts of Alcohol breakdown. Okay, so it's the toxins that are affecting the liver cells that then results in the scar tissue. Yes. It's not like it's scratching up your liver. <laughs> no, okay. but it is causing the scar tissue. And yeah. and you can see it in somebody who's had an alcohol problem for a long time. You can see like the on imaging, you can see the scar tissue in the liver. It's pretty compelling and, and sad because you can't really you can't really fix that. Once it's there, once you've got significant damage and scarring of the liver, you can't really fix it. It's Hmm. there and you can... Can you fix it if it's not significant or if it's... If you have scar tissue, you have scar tissue. I think if you have scar tissue, you have it. I don't know that it can be reversed at this point. I don't, I don't know that we have the technology to do that. Now I'm not, I'm not a specialist in in liver care. Mm -hmm. So there could be technologies that I'm not aware of or or treatments that I'm not aware of, but I think that once you have it, you have it and there's no fixing it, changing it. So the idea is to root. Avoid it, right? (laughs) And then pancreatitis is another one. So pancreatitis is inflammation of the pancreas. And um, I mentioned that some metabolism of alcohol happens in the pancreas. So this makes sense too, right? So this is where we know that processing is happening in the pancreas. And um, overloading the pancreas, just like overloading the liver, causes these increased toxins that cause increased inflammation that leads to damage. So when I think pancreas, I think insulin production, am mm-hmm. I right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So is the alcohol also affecting any of the insulin levels at all? Pro- yeah, de- I think so. And there is some, there's some conflicting research around um, alcohol and diabetes and the pa- the potential that it might reduce your risk for diabetes, but I, but that that actually is really weak research mm. and I wouldn't trust it. To, I wouldn't make a recommendation to drink alcohol to reduce your risk for diabetes um, because it increases that your risk of all these other things. Counterintuitive. It does. To me, but yeah, it does. And I think that's why the research is not very accepted in the health professional community because I just don't think that there's any significance to it. Although I've seen it reported in the media, of course. Mm. <laughs> so I think I would not recommend drinking alcohol to reduce your risk of diabetes. I just don't think that that's convincing, but it will increase your risk for pancreatitis. And I can tell you from personal experience, um, having, you know, seen people that I love suffer from pancreatitis, you know, it, it is incredibly painful. And, um, and, and, and having pancreatitis increases your risk for pancreatic cancer, which is almost, well, which is 
very often terminal. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to treat. You can't really live without your pancreas, not for very long. And so it's a significant issue for people who abuse alcohol, especially. Mm. And then the last one I want to mention is that, um, that fetal, fetal alcohol syndrome is a huge issue, right? So for people who, women who drink alcohol when they're pregnant, I know that they're, they're, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of conversation. I've had a lot of conversations with people about alcohol consumption during pregnancy. And the reality is that there is no research that shows that any amount of alcohol during pregnancy is safe. And there's no research that shows that any amount of alcohol during pregnancy is beneficial is there research that shows that any amount of alcohol during pregnancy is unsafe, like a small amount is unsafe? There, There is some research that shows that alcohol in moderate amounts, I don't know about, and I don't know exactly how that's defined, mm. but can increase the risk for learning disabilities and attention issues later. Mm. So I think, you know, Probably even small amounts are going to affect the baby because they're it's passed through the placenta. There's no question that alcohol gets to the baby when you drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I would say. You know, I think that would having one glass of wine while you're pregnant cause a problem? Probably not. I mean, I can't imagine that that would cause a problem. But if you have one glass a week during your entire pregnancy, could it cause a problem? Maybe. You know, a, a baby's brain is, I mean, of course, it's developing. It's in its most fragile state, especially early in a pregnancy, sometimes before a woman even knows she's pregnant. That's when babies are the most fragile. And so we have to be mindful, especially if you are a woman who is of childbearing age, or if you're trying to get pregnant, then alcohol in any of, in any amount during those early stages could be dangerous, mm -hmm. could be harmful. So I think, you know, I'm always of the conservative mind when it comes to nutrition and health and, and alcohol or consuming any kind of um, uh, over even over-the-counter drugs and certainly with herbs and um, supplements. When you're when you're trying to get pregnant, you have to be so careful. Yeah. Because a lot of times you just don't even know you're pregnant until you're a month along. And by then, you know, significant things have happened in a baby's life. You know, I mean, the brain and the spine start to develop super early. And so we want to protect that. And I think, as I've said already several times, alcohol is a toxin, right? So we want to be really mindful of that. And with alcohol and pregnancy, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome has a very wide spectrum of in, impact on a baby's life or a child's life and eventually an, an adult's life. And it can be a very minor um, kind of impact, such as the learning disability, but it can also be really monumental and it can cause deformities that impact a child's life forever. And it can even be, it can even be deadly. Yeah. So I think, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome is one of those things that fortunately we don't see a lot of, um, in our culture because most people know that alcohol and pregnancy can be risky. But I think even those smaller amounts, even moderate amounts of alcohol during pregnancy has the potential to be dangerous. And I, I always advise my friends and my colleagues and my, um, clients just to avoid alcohol during pregnancy. Just like I'm just thinking about when I was pregnant with uh, my youngest son, and I think I'm pretty sure I was through my first trimester, um, probably right into my second. And uh, I remember I'm like, oh, well, they say I can have a small amount. It's fine. And I have this glass of champagne. I felt so guilty. 
I felt so I didn't even finish the whole glasses. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing to my baby. Yeah. And like it so the studies didn't matter. Yeah. You know, it was just like, okay, I cannot physically yeah. get this down my throat yeah. because I'm so concerned about what I could be doing to my yeah. baby, even if the study says it's fine. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think a lot of women fall into that category. And, you know, there are so many things that you can't control when you're pregnant. You know, I mean, there are just a lot of things that happen that you just don't have any, any influence over. Yeah. But you can control what you eat and drink. Yeah. You can cons- control whether you smoke, what medications or herbs or supplements you take. So to me, it's like, just do that. And, you know, and then you're going to feel good that, okay, I didn't do anything or I didn't knowingly do anything that could have been dangerous. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm a stickler about that. <laughs> Although I'm not going to judge you if I see you and you might be having a glass of wine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, hate you. Or, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say bad things about you behind your back. I promise. <laughs> but I might. You want, would you walk up and say to him, oh, well, you know. No. You wouldn't? Okay. I wouldn't. No. Because I don't know that person's context. And if someone you don't do that with me, food anyway, no, when I, I think don't. about it. No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't ever do that. But, but you know, I mean, I, I think now's my opportunity to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this is my professional opinion. Take it or leave it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just want to reemphasize, you know, that that a lot of people want to think that these risks that we've been talking about only apply if you're an alcoholic, but that's really not true. For people who drink more than one drink a day, if you're a woman, or two drinks a day if you're a man, or who binge drink more than five drinks at a time, you are at increased risk for all of these things we've been talking about. And so five drinks at one time, one day a week. That would be considered binge drinking. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That would be considered binge drinking. Now I'm just trying to see, okay, I have about three drinks a week. <laughs> Am I safe? <laughs> well, and I think, you know, I think, you know, every everything is, it's context, right? Yeah. And thinking about our overall lifestyle and our overall choices. And are we habitually using alcohol in a way that has the potential to cause damage. Mm -hmm. And if we are, then we need to be honest about it and we need to make some modifications. So let's think about maybe this is a good time to sort of transition into some of the social and cultural and mental context or influence or impacts of alcohol. And I read this really interesting, um, article that was that cited the um the world health organization and the CDC. And it was from 2016. Uh <laughs> and it um and it and it was from 2016, so it's a little bit of an you know it's a little bit of an older paper, but the information I think is still relevant, and and I don't imagine that it's changed positively <laughs> since then. But but according to this paper, and I'll include the resources that I've mentioned on the show, of course, in the blog that'll um or the the post on my website that'll accompany this. But worldwide, according to these experts, 3.3 million deaths were attributed. To alcohol misuse in 2012. Does that include things like accidents? Probably. Or is this just consumption? Okay. Mm-hmm. I would think so. Yeah. But this one really, this is the one that really got me. Excessive alcohol use is the third leading cause of death in the U.S. I didn't know that. Did you know that? Third leading cause. You know, I, I had this uh, English professor, I think either English or history professor that talked about how uh, the United States was kind of founded hmm. on alcohol use huh. and how many people, you know, even in the early days of our country would die for some reason or other due to alcohol consumption, whether it's, you know, falling into the river or falling under, you know, some wagon wheels yeah. or whatever. So that 
doesn't really surprise me. It surprised me. I was yeah. surprised. And and according to that same stat, 88,000 deaths per year are contributed to excessive alcohol consumption in the US. And that Have you have you never gone to like New Orleans to like <laughs> or maybe, No, I have not. See, maybe that's it. Maybe that's why it doesn't surprise me. I've seen a lot of stupid drunk people, so I'm not so uh, I mean that but I but I you know, I mean what's the old saying? Um God looks after drunks babies and, fools. and fools. Oh, baby. Oh, I thought it was drunks. I don't know who told me that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely think that um, not totally surprised, but yeah, I was I was surprised that it's as high as it is. Yeah. I just think of like heart disease and cancer, but I didn't think about oh, alcohol, alcoholism is also killing. I mean, I know it's killing people, but I just didn't think it was quite as impactful as it is. So for me, that was a surprising statistic. And I think that you know, a couple of things I would say about that is that you know we know that. As far as the mental impact, you know, alcohol is a depressant, right? And we've already talked about and established that it impairs our judgment, you know, and that's true about food and nutrition, but it can also lead to behaviors that people regret, right? That they Mm -hmm. would never do during a sound state of mind, right? Like driving their car when they're drunk, uh, you know, in, in erratic ways or driving the wrong way down the, in the interstate or, you know, mm. those kinds of things. And, and sometimes it can lead to embarrassing situations, right? Like making a fool out of yourself at the company party <laughs> or not that you did that, or I don't think I've done that lately, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> lately, I don't, I don't know if I've ever done it, but maybe I have, <laughs> uh, but it, it can also lead to things that change our lives forever. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that, so when we think about social and cultural impact, you know, for me, this is where like my personal experience really comes in and like the rubber hits the road for me and all medical implications aside, you know, I think, you know, alcohol has had a significant impact on me personally. So I grew up in a family where alcoholism was rampant at every level of my family life. I've experienced the effects of someone else's drinking. So even though like at this point in my life, I enjoy alcohol in moderation, I also realize it's devastating potential. And so I've seen it destroy marriages and cause injury and lead to very unhealthy aging in the older people in my family. And in fact, I was an active member of Al-Anon, which is an organization for for family and friends of alcoholics for more than a decade. I attended meetings almost every wow. week. Yeah. And I it was a life-saving program for me. I, I loved and I learned so much. And I've even attended some AA meetings, you know. So as I was thinking about and evaluating my own relationship, relationship with alcohol, trying to figure out like, okay, so I know that I have this family history of alcoholism. Do I need to think about, am I an alcoholic? Like, do I have a problem with drinking? And fortunately for me, like, you know, I can say that I'm not an alcoholic, but I also realize that I have this jo- this like strong genetic predisposition. Yeah. So I don't ignore that, you yeah. know, I approach it very respectfully. So I did not, my mom always talked about how we had alcoholism, quote unquote, in our family. Um, And neither she nor my father drank because Mm. of, you know, that predisposition toward alcoholism in our heritage, in our DNA, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I never experienced any of the the negative effects of having an alcoholic close to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But after, you know, my college years and into my early adult years, I did question my own alcohol use. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think it was because of, you know, I had my mom telling, hey, this is in our in our DNA. We have to be careful with it. And, you know, just kind of noticing um, some behaviors of my own that I was like, huh, am I depending on the alcohol to more often than I should to make me feel okay? And, you know, those were questions that I had to ask and answer myself. Yeah. And I am even, I don't label myself an alcoholic. Um, I am always aware of the amount of alcohol that I'm consuming. Yeah. And I, I really think that, especially if you know that you have that family history mm-hmm. or you know yourself that you've had some, you know, questionable behaviors around alcohol, then I think you have to stay aware. You have to pay attention because the reality is that alcohol is so normalized in our culture that I think it makes it easy to develop dependency. It does. I mean, you look at like your Instagrams or right? Facebooks and it's like, oh, I'm having my mommy juice. Oh, the, I hate that. And the, the cup is <laughs> like a 32 ounce wine glass. Yeah. And, you know, we're laughing and we think it's cute. But the reality is, are we depending upon our mommy juice to make us feel okay about yeah. what's going on in our lives? What is it that we're buffering with the mommy yes. juice? And can we just address that yes. and not depend on the alcohol? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that that's probably one of my biggest, and probably because I have a young kid right now, and, but I, and so I have a lot of friends who have young kids too. And I just see a lot of that, um, you know, memes on social media and comments from people about using alcohol to cope with parenting. Yeah. And I, and I just wonder, like, what are we teaching our kids when we're when that's our approach, you know, yeah. when that's our when that's our behavior? And I think, you know, from college through adulthood, alcohol is just part of our lives in so many ways that maybe it shouldn't be, you know, what do you mean? or maybe we should be. May- well, I mean, I think that parenting, just that that oh, to me okay. is like, and that's one great example. I think you know, if you think I mean, about, you can't take my wine for weddings. <laughs> No, 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 no. Okay. But I think like, you know, if if you think about some of the associations with alcohol, right? Mm. Like, what do we do after work? We go to happy hour. Yeah. What do you do in happy hour? You drink alcohol. So happiness have really equals- great appetizers. <laughs> You think about the food. I do. But I think most people think about the alcohol, right? So we think yeah. about cocktails and how that's a part of reclaiming your happiness after the drudgery of your work. Mm. And I just think that that's, I mean, that, again, you know, think about, like, unhealthy coping. I mean, I just don't think, I don't think that's the best way to handle our stress from work, first of all. And then, like, there's, so you mentioned social media. Eating and I, 600 calories and appetizers <laughs> is probably not great either. Well, there is that, especially if you're going to have dinner afterwards. But, the, you know, there's like these popular hashtags that we see all the time, right? Like Thirsty Thursday and Wine Wednesday. And, and it garners like millions of, of, of uh, impressions every week. And listen, I've used those too because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I have a glass of w- a wine on Thursday because for me, Thursday is Friday most of the time. <laughs> and so sometimes Thirsty Thursday is a reality for me. But I think, you know, we, we should be careful about over – um, emphasizing alcohol as part of how we relax. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a glass of wine on Wednesday or Thursday. I just mm-hmm. think that we have to think about the overall message that we're giving to um, other people, other women, other moms, and also, you know, our children and young people and in our lives. What are we telling yeah. ourselves that we are not able to cope with our day yeah. unless we have any kind of outside influence? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And it, it, I think that it is, though, hard to imagine, like, you know, a, a wedding or a birthday party or even a barbecue 
without alcohol as part of the equation, right? It's just sort of part of what you expect. But mm. I do think that there is some some really I think that there is some movement toward more alcohol-free living. And I think I've mentioned this to you the other day, but you know, Chrissy Teigen, who I just love because she's freaking hysterical. She's awesome. And she's gorgeous and she's she likes to cook and um she's just funny and adorable. Her daughter wears fairy outfits oh every day gosh. and I love I do too. I do too. Well, in 2017, she came out and publicly said that she'd stopped drinking alcohol because it was interfering with her life. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. She actually, so according to a report that I read, um, she said that she can't drink just one and that it was, it was causing her to say and do things in public settings that she didn't, that she didn't like afterwards. You know, she Mm. was able to look back on it afterwards and feel kind of embarrassed or bad about what she had said or done in events where she had drank too much alcohol. And I love that she did that. I love that she did it publicly. You know, she didn't say she was an alcoholic. She might not be an alcoholic. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't have any reason to think she is, but she recognized that for her alcohol was, it was causing a problem and inhibiting her ability to enjoy the situation she was in, and to feel good about herself afterwards. And I think that, to me, is a huge part of considering how you feel about your consumption of alcohol. If you feel bad much or some of the time after you drink alcohol, not just physically, if you feel bad for what you said or did, then that, to me, is a signal that, hey, wait a minute, maybe maybe I'm not one of those people who can just enjoy social drinking. Maybe I need to not drink socially. I, maybe I need to not drink. Maybe I need to reconsider that. I just, I wonder where, where did that come from? Where did it come from that so many of our social things like barbecues have to include an alcoholic component? Well, I mean, I think alcohol has been a part of our culture's Forever, right? We've always yeah, been fermenting that. things for wine and beer, and but, I, but it's I so it's so pervasive. tied together. Yeah, you know. Well, to the marketing. If you go to a barbecue and there is no beer, it's weird. <laughs> like what? Where's the beer? Where's the beer? <laughs> yeah, I think marketing is a big part of that, right? Mm. I mean, you look at you know alcohol companies, manufacturers can do all kinds of marketing to adults and they're limited on some of the marketing that they can do, but they can market, you know, if you think about sporting events, big sporting events, what do you see? Who do you see advertising? A significant amount of that is alcohol, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. you think about the big game that happened earlier this year that happens every year around January, you know, that or February, whatever that, you know, that I love how you said that. So we don't get like a trademark. Yeah. Right. Don't come after me, people. (laughs) But I mean, I think that the, you know, it's like a ton of beer advertisements, yeah. you know, and even leading up to it, you know, it's like a ton of beer advertisements. And if you buy or you read magazines about food, if you go to food related websites, you see lots of alcohol advertising on those too. So I think, you know, I don't like the World Cup. Oh, I'm sure it's probably the same thing. I don't so? really watch huh. soccer, but me either. I was just curious. Yeah, I'm sure it's if the it same was like thing. a uniquely American thing. Oh, or no, I don't think so. And I think even golf, like golf, you see a lot of what? liquor and spirits. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, probably like whiskey <laughs> yeah. and things. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So I think there's this association that people have mm. with alcohol and celebrations. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that's not okay. I mean, I think that, you know, it's okay. It's okay to have, that's what you want to do. It's okay to do that, but do it thoughtfully and responsibly and recognize that you are impacting your health. You know, you're not, it's not just benign. It's not, you have to think about it and be. So would you say that there's no amount of alcohol that's absolutely benign? 
Probably not. There are there there is some research, and we're going to talk about the benefits. Okay. So there is some research around the benefits of alcohol. So I guess maybe I wouldn't say it's completely. There's no amount that's completely benign, but I do think that it's very very easy to go over that amount. And many people go over that amount and don't realize it because why the, is the amount like a teaspoon or something? Well, I mean, we talked about the one. It's one. It's oh, one. That's right. Yeah, one, one drink a day, drink a day. <laughs> in those moderate amounts, right? In those moderate, in those smaller amounts than we think about a lot of times, yeah. right? I think you know a lot of people don't just drink one, you know, and a lot of people don't just drink you know a few times a week. A lot of people drink every day. Um, you know, there is this whole. I don't know, we we not really talk about this, but there is, functional alcoholism is a real thing, right? So functional alcoholism is when somebody drinks alcohol to excess, but they're still able to function rather normally in life. So, And that was kind of where I thought that I was headed yeah. because I, I wasn't missing work, mm-hmm. you know, my kids were still fed, yeah. nothing in my life was being impacted mm-hmm. by my consumption, but other than my own mental health. And that is yeah. that is enough, and right? I was like, okay, well, maybe this isn't an issue <laughs> that I need to look at. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that, you know, the, the reality is that alcohol can contribute to huge problems of social isol- isolation. I, <laughs> isolation. 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 <laughs> oh, my tongue is not working today. So, I mean, I think that, you know, isolation is a big issue in our culture in general, right? People are not as connected as they used to be. Funny, because we're super connected online, but we're not connected in real life in a lot of ways. And isolation (laughs) is a problem at, at lots of different ages. But, you know, one of the one interesting report I saw last year, kind of sad report, was about isolation in older adults and older Americans. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, we know, I mean, I think, you know, if you know anything about this issue, that older Americans, elderly people suffer from significant issues of isolation. Right. A lot of times they can't drive. Sometimes they're still living independently, but they they don't have their family around. You know, they may be widows or widowers. And, you know, alcoholism or alcohol abuse in this population of older Americans is skyrocketing. Really? According to the research, it's significantly higher than anyone would have expected. like to deal with the... Yeah, from being lonely, you know, from being lonely and and alone. And the problem is, of course, that alcohol is a depressant. So if people are already depressed and already feel isolated, then how much more is alcohol contributing to that? Yeah, significantly. At least for yeah. me, I just remember um, actually going online and looking up I fit the day after, feeling like I was having a panic attack. Oh, wow. And I was like, can alcohol exacerbate or bring on a panic attack? And it can mm-hmm. because it's that anxiety that comes from that was, you know, depressed the day before when you were drinking and now it's back. Yeah. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just there. Right. And then when the alcohol isn't inhibiting it anymore, it bubbles up. Yeah. And it's bad. Yeah. And I think that this whole use of alcohol in a lot of ways, and the things that we've talked about, you know, a lot of the 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 problem is that it's a symptom of a bigger problem, yeah. right? And I think it goes back to what I just said about connectedness, right? And being disconnected from each other, from ourselves, from our communities. And that can happen at any point in our lives. And I think, you know, the, the, the antidote to that then is not more alcohol. 
No. It's being connected, right? It's connecting. Or therapy. You or know? therapy. Therapy yeah. was I mean, wonderful. That's connecting, right? <laughs> yes. that, I mean, that is connecting. And that's connecting with another person, but it also helps us connect with it ourselves. It helped me connect with myself. Yeah. And I think a lot of people use alcohol to disconnect, mm-hmm. you know, from themselves or to cover up whatever they're feeling, whether it's anxiety, social anxiety from a group setting. I get that too. So I, I mean, I feel that way myself. I totally <laughs> I don't that. believe no, you, it's true. but okay. It's true. Seriously? Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I struggle with social situations because I feel like, I don't know, like all of my insecurities come out at the same time. It's like, you know, do yeah. I have toilet paper <laughs> stuck on my shoe? Is, you know, is the skirt too tight? Do people, you know, do I sound stupid? What's do I have my teeth? Bags what are we on talking my, about? Yes. Oh my God, do I know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's all that. What are people thinking about me? And you know what? People aren't thinking about you. They're, They're thinking about themselves. Right. And so I have to remind Everybody's myself thinking the same thing. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> So, um, so, so a few interesting statistics, I think, you know, not to be too, I don't want to throw too many statistics at you, but I do think these are interesting. And and then we'll talk a little bit about the benefits, but in 2014, and this came from Harvard's website. So in 2014, about 61 million Americans were classified as binge alcohol users. That's five or more drinks on the same occasion, at least once a month. So at least once a month, drinking five or more drinks, that's considered mm. binge, binge drinking or a binge, a binge alcohol users. And 16 million Americans were considered heavy alcohol users, which is five or more drinks on the same occasion on five or more days in a month. So that doesn't hmm. seem like that much, it but it seem it, like that's that a much. lower threshold that I think a lot of people would consider. Yeah. But I, but, it, but again, I think if you're consistently feeling drunk, if you're consistently inebriated in some way, then that's, that's a signal that maybe there's a problem. Yeah. I mean, I think if you get drunk once, it's not, the, this is not a big deal, but if you're consistent, that's consistently part of your habit, then that can be a problem. So, um, some other interesting statistics, thinking about the social impact of alcohol are, you know, the alcohol plays a role in one in three cases of violent crime. You know, again, thinking about lowering your inhibitions, mm-hmm. giving you that dose of courage you need to maybe do something you wouldn't normally do. And that's scary. So violent crime that includes domestic abuse, uh, yeah. robbing a store. Yeah. like okay. Yeah, punching a, a, a fellow patron. Because you've got differences of opinion. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying I did that, but so bar fights. Yeah, bar fights. In 2015, um, according to this same information from Harvard, more than 10,000 people died in automobile accidents in which alcohol was involved. Yeah. So gosh, I mean, you know, here we are. We're recording this on St. Patrick's Day weekend, and no doubt there will be people who drive drunk, mm-hmm. um, and there will be people who die this weekend because of alcohol-related traffic accidents. And I think. You know, I have a I have a friend that I went to high school with who is just precious and wonderful, and she lost her husband a few years ago, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Maybe it's been no, this hasn't been a few years, been a couple of years. Um, who was same age as I am? We were, they were high school sweethearts. They have two beautiful children, and she is beautiful. And now she's a widow because somebody decided to drink and drive, and her husband was killed, and her children have to grow up without without a father because of the choices that someone made to drink and drive. Yeah. I have a high school friend that was killed, um, in a drunk, drink, drunk driving accident about five years ago. And every holiday that passes, I think about, wow, well, Renee's not here anymore mm-hmm. to celebrate with us yeah. this. And Renee's not going to have the opportunity to see her grandchildren because, her life was taken in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, in the age of Uber and Lyft and all of these ride sharing kind of, there's no reason to drink and drive. And on holidays like this, they give discounts too. Oh, do they? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. That's good to know. Or you can and walk. there's even free services a lot yeah. of times yeah. where people will volunteer to take inebriated people home yeah. and drive your car. Yeah. Wow. There's always a way. Yeah, there is a way. There is a way. So don't drink and drive. Um, And then, so I would say that, you know, some of these social impacts are huge and we don't think about them because they're kind of hidden costs unless you've personally been affected. But the, that same, that same site I mentioned from Harvard also suggested that the, that the cost per year of alcohol abuse to our society, do you even want to take a guess? It's huge. Five million? Two hundred and forty nine billion with a B. You're lying. No, that's what they said. Two hundred and forty nine billion. What? It, no, man. Yeah. What, are, what all are they throwing? I'm sure into they're that including. Um, I'm sure they're including the cost of of uh, healthcare. They're including the cost of mm-hmm. lost wages. They're including mm-hmm. the cost mm-hmm. of like society. so. That's probably like you all know, of it. liver cancer treatment. Yes. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Inpatient care, outpatient care. For people who've got alcohol and substance, or just alcohol, this is just for alcohol. This isn't even talking about other substances. Is rehab covered by insurance? Uh-huh. Sometimes, huh. usually a small amount is covered. Depends on your insurance, of course, but so- usually a small amount is covered. Um, not usually as much as is recommended recommended by the experts. But that's true for all mental health. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, mental health coverage is not what it should be, in my opinion. And I think um, alcohol. And substance abuse recovery is one area where we could we could benefit so much if we provided better coverage and care. Mm-hmm. But it's a challenge. I mean, it's it's a huge challenge. So I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about the risks. And hopefully we've made people think about their own consumption and whether or not they need to pare down or stop drinking or have a conversation with somebody about it. So, But let's talk a little bit about the benefits because I know I can hear people going, yeah, but, you know. Resveratrol. I've read this. <laughs> and, you know, I think that, you know, I, I, so I so again, in thinking about this and putting it into the proper context, I did find some potential benefits. And, and I went to the Mayo Clinic has always, I think, great information on their website. It's really easy to understand understand and consumer friendly. And so they had some, they listed three possible benefits for out from alcohol, moderate consumption. So think again about the one drink a day that we've talked about for men, it's up to two drinks a day for men. It's up to two drinks a day, because again, they're usually bigger. They metabolize alcohol a little differently, a little more efficiently most of the time because they're bigger. Um, and, but the things that they mentioned were that it may reduce your risk of developing and dying from heart disease. So as we talked about the triglyceride issue on the flip side, if you're drinking moderately, alcohol can, um, be a blood thinner, a a mild blood thinner. And that's, that's a good thing, especially as we get older and atherosclerosis starts to kind of impact many of us, um, having some sclerosis is the thickening of the arteries. Yes, exactly. That, that can lead to heart attack and stroke. Um, so, so that's one thing. Um, and you mentioned resveratrol and resveratrol is a, is a phytochemical that's, um, primarily found in red wine. It's in the skin of the grape. Um, and so, you know, there is some cardioprotective benefit from resveratrol that I don't want to ignore. I mean, that's there and there, and you know, we think about the healthiest ways of eating. I always talk about the Mediterranean diet and we know that in the Mediterranean diet, wine is one of the things that is included. Mm. It's optional. Doesn't, you don't have to drink it to be on the Mediterranean diet. So if you want to eat the Mediterranean diet, you don't have to drink wine if you don't or drink alcohol if you don't want to, but you can. Is there any diet that includes whiskey? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not aware of one. No. <laughs> I'm okay. not aware of one. Um, and then, so, so the other possible risks are, it could reduce your risk of ischemic stroke. Um, and that is like um, a certain type of stroke that happens because of the narrowed or blocked arteries in the, the that are in that go to the brain from through is your that neck. the TIA or yeah. is that something different? Uh, not something. Um, so TIA is a transient transient ischemic stroke, so it might be in the same category. Okay. Um, but it does reduce your risk, and it's probably along the same lines as cardiovascular. The things I just mentioned about reducing your risk for cardiovascular um, disease for heart disease, but. I think that the the reduced risk is is again leaning back to that moderate consumption, you know, moderate consumption. Increase over that, then we increase our risk. Mm-hmm. And then the other one I mentioned we talked about was diabetes. You know, is it mm-hmm. is it is it providing some benefit for diabetes? And I think that that's one that's I'm it's it's not completely convincing yet. There could be some benefit, but I think the risk is still there's still more risk probably than benefit there. I don't, I'm not convinced that, that consuming alcohol is a way to reduce our risk for diabetes. I think that there are lots of other ways that we can reduce our risk that don't have to do with alcohol. And I would say that's true for all of those conditions. You know, you can drink moderate amounts of alcohol and you may experience some benefit in reducing risk in these areas. But I would say that the risks associated with overconsumption are higher. And so if you're somebody who really can't just drink one or drinks more than the moderate amounts that we've discussed, then your risks are much higher than any benefit you may see. Mm. And there are lots of other things you can do that can reduce your risks in these areas that don't have the the potential pitfalls that alcohol have. Like what? Well, I mean, I think good nutrition for sure, right? I mean, <laughs> eating, eating. So you can get the resveratrol just from eating grapes. Grapes, um, peanuts, um, dark chocolate contains resveratrol. And I love dark chocolate. At what point of chocolate does, it, <laughs> does the risk outweigh the benefit? Oh, my gosh. Is there That's not this show. I mean, I, I think an ounce of chocolate a day is probably totally fine and also is delicious. So that's kind of my goal. Um, I, so I think Dark it, chocolate peanut M&M. <gasps> what? Yum. And then the other thing is, is exercise. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Exercise has so many benefits. And especially when we think about, you know, cardiovascular benefits and reducing stroke risk and reducing diabetes risk. And there are no downsides to, al- to, to to exercise. There are no downsides to exercise, right? So exercise has all these benefits and really no no risk. I mean, as long as we're not, um, yeah. But my much. knees though. Yeah, well, so you do a different exercise, you know? There's that. <laughs> <laughs> so the bottom line, I think the bottom line of this whole show around alcohol is that the benefits don't outweigh the risk if you drink more than the moderate amounts that we've discussed. So if you're not a drinker, there's no reason for you to start. If you do drink, drink no more than one per day if you're a woman and no more than two per day if you're a man. And you shouldn't be drinking necessarily because you're trying to get these benefits because I think the benefits, while they could be positive, um, you can accomplish them in so many other ways that have other really positive side effects without any of the negative. Yeah. Yeah. And I would like to say that, you know, if you are somebody – Um, who thinks you may have a problem with alcohol, or if you care about somebody who has a problem with alcohol, I would encourage you to take some important steps. And some of those we've talked about, right? I mean, we talked about 
maybe talking to a therapist or a counselor. I mean, I think that's a really good first step for people who aren't sure how they feel or trying to figure out their relationship with alcohol. Or, you know, you could talk to your pastor or a trusted friend or a relative. I mean, there are lots of people in our lives that I think can fill that position if we don't have access to a therapist or maybe you don't have insurance or you're concerned about trust issues. Maybe there's somebody else in your life who can play that part. Yeah, a close family member, if you ask them, do you think my drinking is a problem? I promise you. If yeah. it's a problem, they'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we should be not be afraid of self assessment. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's good for the soul. It is good for the it's soul. It's hard. It is hard. And it can sometimes be painful, but I kind of think of it like when you have a wound, sometimes allowing the wound to bleed mm-hmm. allows it to heal better. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sometimes we have to go through a little bit of pain in order to heal. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And so I think that that's one thing is like talk about it. You know, opening opening up about your concerns is really the first step toward creating a healthier relationship with alcohol. You know, if you're hiding something or if you're feeling bad and shame about your drinking, then you probably need to have a conversation with somebody. And that might be, and that, be, you know, your friend or your counselor or your pastor, whoever it is in your life, you know, mm-hmm. somebody that you trust. The other thing I would like to say is I've already mentioned is that I am a big believer in Al-Anon and I think that the AA program is amazing. And these programs are absolutely life-changing and life-saving for so many people. The meetings, if you're not familiar with them, are volunteer-run by members of the group. And they're an incredible source of experience, strength, and hope from people who have been where you are, um, who understand what it's like to either struggle with your own drinking or struggle with somebody else's drinking. And they understand in a way that other people might not understand, you know. How do you find those meetings? Oh, that's a great question. So you can go on the, just go on the internet, you know, just look it up. Look up Al-Anon, look up AA, you know, just Google or do whatever search you use, you know, Al-Anon meetings in my area and it'll pop up for you. It's so easy to find. I'll include the link on our website, but I think that, you know, it's, there are meetings everywhere and there's usually a meeting every night of the week. Um, Some meetings are in the morning, some meetings are in the evening, and they all have some similar formats. They all follow the 12 steps, um, which are steps to really life change. And they, and I think they teach uh, tools that are useful when you're dealing with alcohol, but gosh, they're useful tools for me. I mean, having been involved in that program for so long, they're tools I use now, even though I'm not currently in a situation where I'm affected by somebody's alcohol consumption on a regular basis. I, I definitely feel like, you know, I, I still use those tools in my life all the time. Are they, (laughs) this is going to sound like a weird question, but like for someone who is generally hesitant to walk into a new situation where I don't know anybody, Mm -hmm. are they typically nice? Like when you walk through, they're like, oh my God, you're here. You know, (laughs) what what is that? What is that like? Oh, it's great. I mean, you know, especially in Al-Anon, my experience is much more with Al-Anon than than AA, but I know AA is very similar. You know, the Al-Anon's considered, in in many cases, they call themselves Al-Anon family groups Mm. because they are really 
really like family groups and people care about each other and they get to know each other and they understand each other's situations. And you'll never be forced to share anything if you don't want to. You can talk or you can just listen. There's um, there's no requirement that you like pour out your story and your heart at any time. They don't make you hold hands. They don't make anything. you hold hands. Okay. They don't make you say anything you don't want to. There are some pretty common formats and they use a lot of um, a lot of the same materials in every meeting and they say some of the same things at the beginning of every meeting and that's partly to create a sense of structure mm. um, and also to create a sense of expectation for people, right? So they know what the expectation is in the group. You know, the groups are not meant to be therapy. They're not meant to be counseling. If you need therapy and counseling, you should see a therapist or a counselor. Mm -hmm. The groups are really just about providing support, you know. And so if you're struggling with someone else's drinking or if you're struggling with your own relationship with alcohol and you think you may be problem a problem drinker, then I think that those meetings are a place where you can figure that out hmm. by listening to somebody else's story. And um, in my experience anyway, you know, it was like listening to my own story. Oftentimes when I heard somebody else share their story, I heard my own life story, you know, because even though the, the circumstances might be very different, there are so many similarities in alcoholism from family to family and person to person that there's no way not to hear your own story in those meetings. And it's a beautiful thing. It's so, it was so encouraging for me at a time when I was really struggling. And I always tell people, you know, it was either, it was either homicide or suicide in my life. You know, I was at the place somebody where somebody was going to die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like the, the end was near <laughs> before I found Al-Anon and Al-Anon changed my life. And it, I mean, it was really, I think um, the best investment I ever made was investing the time that I did in my time in Al-Anon. How did you get there? Like, did someone recommend it? Did That's a great question. And I don't remember. I do. I will tell you, like, you know, so my, my experience with Al-Anon, the first meeting I ever went to, I went to a meeting and I don't know how I found out about it. I don't remember. Probably somebody recommended it or I found it. I don't know because it was so long ago. I don't even know if I had. The, I guess I had internet, but mm. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's funny though. I went to my first meeting and I remember going to the meeting and listening to all these people and thinking like these people are messed up, and there is nothing wrong with me. I'm not the problem, so I'm not going to go back to that meeting. And then I didn't go for a while. I didn't go for a couple of months or three months or something. And then things got really bad in my life again, and I was like, okay, I got to get some help, and maybe these people are onto something. And so then I went to a meeting in a different place, you know? I mean, sometimes you can't hear something until you're ready to hear it. Yeah. And when I went back, um, then... You went to a different meeting. Yeah. Okay. I went to a different meeting. And one of the recommendations I often heard was, you know, try six meetings before you decide whether it's for you. And that can be the same meeting or it could be different meetings because different meetings have different people and different people have different stories and they're going to be different and, you know, sort of different vibes in the different meetings. But, um, but after that, I was hooked. And then I got really involved and I had a sponsor and and I did the steps and it was just like, I don't know, it was a great way to learn how to approach life differently mm. and deal with the struggle of, of being affected by someone else's drinking in a, in a healthy way with people who could support me and understand what I was going through. So I can't say enough, enough good things about Al-Anon and AA as well. So, awesome. yeah, so we'll include the link on our website um, so that if you want to find a meeting, it'll be easy for you to do that. But you can just search for it and find them everywhere, all over the country, almost every single day of the week. 
So with that, I would say, gosh, this has been a long show, but I think this is a a great topic and it's something that's been on my heart for a long time and I've wanted to do this show. I think we (laughs) talked about this initially when we were talking about doing a show that this is one of the topics that we wanted to cover. Yeah, absolutely. So I know this has been a long show. So for those of you who stuck it out to the end, thank you for listening. I hope that it's been encouraging to you and I hope that you benefited from it. And if you heard something today that you think someone else needs to hear, share the show with them. Send it to them. Send them the link. Point them in in our direction. Make sure you subscribe and rate the show. You know, we need other people need to find the show and they can only do that if you help us. So help us share the show with other people. Spread the word. Love on us. <laughs> and if you've got questions or suggestions, as always, just send us a note. You know, you can reach us through social media. We're easy to find. Or you can send us um, an email at um, southernfriedgirlfriends at gmail.com. So with that, as we close the show, I'll ask Dee, here's the question we always close the show with. What is the one thing you're going to do to be healthier today? Well, I did something kind of shady. So (laughs) (laughs) like I have this specific eyeliner that I love the brush on it, but it is expensive. Oh, so I bought a cheaper eyeliner and put the brush from the more expensive eyeliner into the cheaper eyeliner. Uh So I've been basically using the same eyeliner brush for an extended period of time. I now have a sty. Oh, no. And I was like, how did this come? And I'm like, "Uh, probably from the eyeliner. Oh. And so I'm going to toss out my eyeliner and just go buy the (laughs) expensive one for the brush. Oh, my gosh. So that's what I'm doing today. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. I was like, oh, I'm so small. (laughs) You know what? Maybe if I had sanitized it. Oh, my gosh. I'm just going to buy it. Yeah, I think just buy it. Because, you know, what what you've lost in aggravation fee is probably (laughs) worth the additional cost of the eyeliner. It's like $15 difference. Yeah, but still. But it's, it's. It's worth it if I don't have this big old yeah thing on my fifteen dollars. Yeah, fifteen dollars is like how much is that in like restaurant dollars? Okay, right. It's like an appetizer. It so. is. All right. So for me, uh, so I have some home maintenance things I have to take care of. So I have to um <laughs> have to clean the chicken coop. That's like one Ooh, of the I know, right? <laughs> I have to clean the chicken poop. So that's the one thing. That's one thing I have to do. But I also want to get my garden ready for the spring because, gosh, it's coming, right? Have you planned what you're planting? No, I haven't planned it. I know I don't plan anything. You know what I do is I go to the I go to the plant place like most of the time, Home Depot. But I go to the wherever I'm going to buy my plants, and then I plan based on what I buy at the at the at the um wherever I buy it. So. So it's kind of whatever yeah. hits your fancy yeah. as you're looking at the seeds. And, you know, how the plants look, right? Yeah. So I don't, oh, I don't so you do buy seeds. seedlings. Yes. I buy gotcha. small plants um, because I'm impatient. And uh, and and I'm also not here enough. You know, I travel some, so I don't always, I'm not always here. And I worry, like, I'm, my plants are going to die. And I have tried to do seeds, but I've always killed them because I'm not – I don't have a green thumb. <laughs> I just have, like, a green heart. You don't have a green thumb no. and you're – like garden <laughs> planting box looks like this bounty. Uh, so I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> that's, that's my overgrown. That's my overgrown cabbage and 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 kale. But it's alive. Yeah, it is alive. That's true. But it's not, no, no thanks to me. It's thanks to Mother Nature and the, the fact that they're really hardy. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be taking care of my um my future food by taking care of my chickens and taking care of my garden. And that will make me healthier. You're going to eat your chicken? Oh, just the eggs. The eggs. The okay. Eggs. <laughs> 
like, oh my gosh, you're going to harvest the chicken? No, the chickens all have names. That means they're pets now. Okay. (laughs) All right, ladies. Well, thanks so much, girlfriends, for listening to the show today. We love you. We appreciate you. We thank you for being on this journey. And again, we want your feedback. So let us know what you think and you take care of yourself today. Bye, y'all.